Welcome to episode number 288, The Way Home Part 2. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. Brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. Visit bl3ssed.com to get blessed. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. All right, you are now tuned into the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Lee Velez. I'm here with Gabe, Heck, Goose, and James. The Way Home Part 2. In this episode, we have special guest James Richardson. We cover topics that range from running a nonprofit, rental properties, compassion, homelessness, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from the Dalai Lama and Steve Marabali. Guys, if you're new, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning for your listening pleasure. Kicking things off. Gentlemen, gentlemen, we are six years in. Yeah. How fantastic is that? Super excited and uh, and somewhat of an anniversary because, you know, six years in, here we have James Richardson here who was uh, featured with us in episode 167, I believe oh, wow. it was 2020 or 2019, somewhere yeah. around there. It's been a, been a year or two, yeah, right? Yeah, like Absolutely. Uh, so, James, man, thank you for joining us. We yeah, appreciate good it. to be back. Absolutely. All right, so... If you haven't listened to the first episode, episode 167, please check that out. We have a YouTube channel that's up and running, or should be up and running. Check us out, The Rotated Views. And it will actually have all of our previous show, mainly uh, uh, would be audio, but the last 10 episodes or so will have the visual component. Yes. Uh, we have our, um, our camera here, and so we're capturing James' beautiful face. But <laughs> for those of us who do not know who you are and what you do, let us know. Sure. Yeah, so my name is James Richardson, as you said before. Yep. Uh, I am the president of The Way Home. Uh, and I have been uh, serving in that role for the last 10 years, uh, a Bristol Borough resident here Amazing. with my awesome family, and uh, yeah, really excited to, to be here and share with you guys today. Nice. I love nice. it. All right, so most of the beginning part was addressed in the first episode, but let's just start really quick. It doesn't have to go into super detail, but how did you get started uh, with The Way Home or in this industry, and what made you want to get started? Yeah, so... Uh, my my story is a, a pretty good one, yeah. uh, and so you know everybody definitely listen back to that that previous episode 167. Yeah. Uh, but the Reader's Digest version of that is uh, <laughs> in 2007. Uh, I was actually a homeless uh, drug addict. Yeah. And uh, had hit rock bottom and uh, and clawed my way back uh, from that, and uh, I wound up a resident here in Bristol Borough just a couple of years later, 2009. Uh, I was working in 2011 for a local nonprofit, uh, Interfaith Housing. Uh, they had a meeting to decide what to do about a homeless camp in Bristol Borough that was being evicted. And uh, I happened to be present for that meeting. And somehow at the end of it, I was chosen to be part of an administrative group to figure out a program for these guys that were uh, homeless and, and looking for a place to go. Uh, and fast forward to the next year in 2012, uh, The Way Home became a uh, 501c3 nonprofit organization. We opened our first uh, lease here in Bristol Borough and we moved five guys into housing. Uh, and my passion for it was just that 
they could be me. Their story could be my story because yeah. I came from the, the same roots. You know, I came from the streets. I came from homelessness. I came from addiction. And, uh, and my life had been turned around at that point. I just really wanted to give back uh, to people who were struggling like I had been. Wow. So, so you mentioned um, rock bottom, right? And a lot, a lot, of, a lot of folks stay there or um, just don't know how to get out. So, so if you could share any insight or um, and any thoughts on how, if, if you can reflect back, how, how did you make it out, so to speak, and, and get out from that, from, from rock bottom to where you are? Yeah, so, you know, the, a big piece of that is how I got there in the first place. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm a veteran, I'm a combat vet. I was uh, in Iraq in 2003. I was actually part of the first convoy in. Thank you for uh, your service. You're welcome. Uh, and, you know, I don't regret my service in any way, uh, but we all came home with something we didn't leave with. Mm-hmm. Uh, depended on, on what that was. And for me, uh, I had something unknown wrong with me. There was something inside that wasn't right, and I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know to this day now that, that it was PTSD, mm. but it wasn't diagnosed then. And uh, I just ran. And so uh, a good friend of mine uh, from back home in New York had found out about what I was going through, the struggles I was going through, and he reached out, and he didn't stop reaching out. Wow. Mm. And uh, so, you know, one of the the big components there, you know, it was a good question of, you know, why do some people make it out and why do some others not? And really it comes down to support. Mm. Uh, And so for me it was remembering that there were people that loved me that saw beyond my circumstances in that moment uh, that saw what I used to be and what I could be again. Uh, and, and that one particular gentleman actually uh, went on to be the, the best man in my wedding. And, wow. Uh, he's, nice. a, he's a pastor now, and uh, we're just really good friends to this day. But really because he remembered me before all of that, and he knew that that would be me again, and he, he didn't give up. And, uh, and he reminded me that God loved me and, and saw who I was and, uh, and didn't see PTSD when he looked at me and didn't see homelessness and drug addiction, but saw the real me on the inside. And, and that pulled a lot of walls down. Wow. That yeah. is amazing. Um, and, and, so, and so obviously you have uh, an overcoming story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of victory. And every day is still, you know, right? I mean, every day we still, you know, go through many challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people think someone is uh, who overcomes something devastating maybe in their life or just a huge challenge that that's it. They're done. They're polished. And it's all over and, you know, done with. It's not. It's every day we work on things. It might mm-hmm. not be as heavy as it once was right. maybe. Um, but, you know, it's still amazing that we still have to strap on our boots, so to speak, and keep it moving. So mm-hmm. kudos to you, man. Uh, very inspirational, inspiring story. Um, and then the other thing is to uh, to share that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people, you know, we have guests on here all the time for the actual first time in their life. They're sharing their story mm-hmm. and there's something special about that. And that's what keeps, you know, for our guests and our listeners and our supporters, bringing them back yeah. in because they're yeah. going to find, they know when we have a guest, they're going to find some level of yeah. inspiration right. in someone else's story. Yeah. And that is, that gives us that enjoyment that here we are six years later still you know uh having that providing that platform for Mm -hmm. people um okay so let's fast forward so um 
about a year and a half ago, two years ago, you were talking about creating that nonprofit and you know the the challenges that you uh, overcame. So yeah. here you are coming up on or has been ten years. What? Explain the challenges of maintaining a yeah. nonprofit, right? Absolutely. Because in the beginning. Everyone's all pumped up yep. and you know super excited about it, and same thing. We we can we can relate to that to, to an extent, not as long, right. but every, there was a bunch of yeah. excited you know yeah. people and a, a, a ton of people rallying behind us. And then after a while, you hit some weird right. stage. Yep. <laughs> We're like, uh, is anyone still listening? Is this thing on? <laughs> um, you guys still do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, but and then it's for somehow we just kept pushing through, and yeah. then all of a sudden it became. I think each of us have a an actual love for mm-hmm. it yeah. in our mm-hmm. own way yeah uh, whether some of us might just be just uh, uh, just us gathering that just right. that might be their drive to meet up some people might just be whether it's editing or putting equipment or getting you know upgrading things some people might just be just hosting right, right? and then me it's just like the interaction or getting the guest and sharing the story what in the world how do you mean <laughs> to a decade bro yeah so wow that's uh that's a packed question yeah, yeah. Um, you can unpackage it how you want yeah, yeah. and answer and then we'll, st- we'll, we'll keep going with <laughs> I it. i will so so when we met last time um the way home was kind of going through a renaissance yeah. you know we had been shut down for a while we were getting ready to open a new home uh we had paul on with us that's right, paul yeah. uh we had just hired to be our executive director um i think that rebirth of the way home helped. Yeah. Um, so when we started out back in, technically in 2011, we started formalizing this idea of what the way home would be. Um, there was a lot of energy that wasn't all positive energy. Yeah. So, you know, we talked a little True. bit about this last time. Yeah. Uh, we follow a housing first model that doesn't require people to be clean, uh, drug and alcohol free, or on mental health prescriptions to control any disorders before coming in. Um, that was wildly unpopular in the beginning. Yeah. To this day, it's still pretty unpopular. I wouldn't call it wildly unpopular sure. anymore. Sure. We've won over three or four people. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, but there's still a lot of people that are not in this camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you pair that with people that are passionate about the homeless and passionate about helping people, um, there's a burnout effect that comes from mm-hmm. it. And so I started out in the beginning as the president. Um, I built up a pretty good board and eventually stepped down from the president role to take over as the treasurer and put somebody else in as the president who had been my vice president in the beginning and, and he, was my, he was my brother in arms in all of this. You know, well, we, yeah. we went to battle together to make this happen. Um, but I, I stepped away for a while uh, to focus on my family. And in that time away, things unraveled a little bit. And I think some of that unraveling was burnout. Some of it was having not quite the right people in positions. Mm -hmm. And some of it was just bad luck. You know, we we lost some funding uh, that caused a downward spiral and eventually caused everybody to shut down. Um, And they had asked me to come back. uh, That was in, I think that was 2020 that we were, were on the air here. Uh, so that summer, they asked me to come back um, to, you know, just it was 2019 that we, we did that. 2019, they asked me to come back to help them figure out 
how to get another house open because nobody had been there to open a house before. Yeah. And uh, and so I came in and I you know I agreed to come in as a a part time board member and then eventually I became the vice president after we had met last time, um, and then last fall uh, I left my seven year career in automotive sales to to open uh, a company of my own working in the life insurance field. And a month after I made that move, the gentleman who was the president at the time had a, a major. Uh, circumstance happened in his life and he resigned and sent me a, a message an email uh, with his resignation and all of a sudden I was thrust back into the presidency of this thing again yeah. hmm. and you know it, it almost only seemed fitting as we were making this march towards uh, 10 years that I would be back at the helm of this thing uh, but one of the things it did was it brought a new energy mm-hmm. um, the board that had developed out of that that uh, downtime when they they'd shut down the houses that they had, uh, it was a really good professional board that they put together. There's an attorney on the board. There's a CPA on the board. Oh. You know, so it, it was a high end. There was a professor on the board uh, who had an extensive background in uh, contracting and on the government side. And so you know, just the right people. Yeah. Um, and the right people does a lot for you yeah you know you can only grow so far with the wrong people yeah, yeah but the yeah. sky's the limit when you got the right people yeah. and i think you guys know a little about that for right sure. you've oh, been absolutely. six years you've been for doing sure. it you know yeah, you got yeah. the right team here yeah. right yeah. and so you know the same thing happened i looked at the team that was there and i went you know there was one missing piece here there was the the piece of someone who's been in the trenches in this that knows how to kind of scrape through and mm. and make something happen uh but i joined a team that was complete other than that. Uh, so when the, the president stepped away, it wasn't a big deal for me to step in and take over because the team was right. And I was just leading a good professional team. Yeah. And so I think that has added to the energy that's there today. A um, couple of things happened. So Paul had to step down as the executive director. Uh, he had switched careers, and, and he's now a general manager with U-Haul. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. and, and he keeps getting promoted. So... Well, uh, he might be the president of U-Haul yeah. soon. I don't know. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> He's moving right on up. But, but that meant that he had to step away from the way home. Sure. Uh, and that timing corresponded with me taking over as president again. So wow. <laughs> I had two jobs to do. The, the first one was figure out what direction we were going to go in. And the second one was to hire a new executive director. Hmm. And I just happened to find... Uh, a young woman who just moved to Bristol Borough. Uh, she is a uh, current career social worker. She's worked uh, in social work in Delaware County for, I think she's going on uh, eight years now. It might, might even be more. Juliana, I'm sorry if that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but she brought the expertise we were missing. She mm-hmm. brought that that social worker's heart and touch. Mm. Uh, and Paul had laid the groundwork and did a good job getting the right guys in the house, but she definitely took things in a different direction. And so, you know, the, the short answer to how do you keep it going and how do you keep the energy is to have the right people. Yeah. The wrong people had led to us having that downfall for a little while. Yeah. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the people. They were just not the right people for that time for mm. this organization. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, bad luck on, on timing on some things led to it. So, um, but yeah, people is, is the answer. Now, 
Something interesting that uh, I, I believe most businesses, um, hopefully that you, you, when you catch the groove, right, and everything, all the right key players are in place, um, you know where you're headed, you know where you are, you know where you're going, um, and it's the maintenance of it all, right? Mm. So explain uh, the, the, the ability to maintain something that's good, right? Mm. Where a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes you see... There's, you know, people reinventing the wheel for no reason. It's like yeah. you have all the key players. Everything's yeah. going good. And then all of a sudden they change a policy or right. change something, right. how they operate. And you're like, they just ruined it. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure you just ruined it. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and so explain where maintenance does not become complacency, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have a maybe a different um, outlook on, on a lot of that type of stuff. And, you know, I... I believe that a lot of companies fail because they move faster on the program side mm. than where their current state is. Mm. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, just following the system and that's how we get where we are, right? Yeah, yeah, usually yeah. it's not a positive no. thing, right? Absolutely. But I think that's that's the system in this country. Yeah. Is that businesses want to grow faster than they actually are because we look at success as the company is big and thriving, where there's actually success all the way along the path if you follow the right path. Mm. And even if it's small, it's often better than moving too fast for where you're at and burning bridges and, and destroying things. And so I, you know, I think that's, to your point, Jamie, I think that's where some of those policy changes come in. Uh, and I, I've seen this in a lot of businesses. So. You know, one of the things that I brought back to the, the focus for us when we got started was, look, we started as a grassroots organization. We built to two houses, we tore it down to nothing, and we're rebuilding to one house. Yeah. Well, guess what we are? We're back to square one as a grassroots organization, but now with the right people. Mm. Yeah. So let's not build program too big. And, you know, in, in this line of work... A lot of the temptations are, you know, let's focus on policy to make sure that the the residents are safe. Uh, where a lot of times that can be handled by just using good judgment, uh, and and that's where it helps to have a professional social worker in place, someone whose judgment has been used and tested for a long time okay. in very, very tough situations. Uh, so, you know, she and I work very well together for that reason because I, I've been tested in about every way you can be yeah. tested. You know, we just talked a little about that history. Yeah. Uh, but that's the big thing, I think, is not moving faster than where your current state is. Uh, and that's where I see a lot of companies fail. Um, especially in the nonprofit world, I see a lot of companies try to move too fast. You know, let's let's have this you know amazing program and let's put all these policies in place when we're really just getting traction. Uh, and the focus needs to be on making sure that 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 little baby of an organization grows to be an adult. Don't treat it like an adult while it's an infant, right? It still needs milk. Don't yeah. give it steak. Yeah. And uh, you know, I see a lot of that happen. So, yeah. Yeah, and almost some some. To some extent, um, forgetting who you are, mm -hmm. and I'm saying you as in mm -hmm. a company, yeah. right? Why, why did we start this? Right? Yeah. And sometimes we lose that. And I, I do believe I agree with you. I do believe one of the key components is competition. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. 
or your neighbor, whatever, you're, whatever you're trying to keep up with, right. beat or maintain, yep. all of a sudden it you lose your focus. Then becomes on competition yep. and not the grassroots reason. Yep. Right. It's and the so why, know, right? Yes. It's, it's the why. The why is so important. And I think it's the piece that's missing most of the time is we don't build companies from the why up. We build companies from the goal down, yeah. right? So if you know the organization's goal is to be a multi-million dollar company, we start there and work backwards instead of why did we want to get there in the first place? What is the passion that wants us, that makes us want to be a multi-million dollar company? What are we trying to do? Who are we trying to serve? That should be the focus. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I've brought back uh, to the table here. Not that we didn't have it, but it's the thing now. Yeah. It was a thing before. It's the thing now. Yeah. So. And uh, shout out to all the social workers, uh, clinical oh, yeah. social services. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it's not, not for nothing. Yeah. That is, that takes a special person, yeah. um, a special talent. And we definitely here at Rotated Views Podcast appreciate you, appreciate all you do. Um, with that being said, define what compassion means to you <clears throat> yeah that's you know I, compassion is really important to me personally just because of what i've been through yeah and i think everybody has a, a little different view on what compassion is um you know i believe compassion has a couple of components the first one is the golden rule you know treating people how you want to be treated i think that's a big root uh in what compassion really is um because compassion to me is not looking at yourself as greater than anyone else, but having empathy for everyone in every situation. Mm. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do. You know, if you look at compassion, that's a pretty extreme definition of compassion. Because that means I need to look at somebody who, by all standards, should be my enemy and have empathy for them. Mm. You know, and, and we live in a dark world in a lot of ways. And there are a lot yeah. of uglinesses out there uh, there's a lot of dark crime out there and to me compassion means that I need to be able to look at that individual who's guilty of those things and have some form of empathy for him and, and not to hate uh, and you know I think it's easy to have compassion on someone who's a good story right yeah yeah we all like that yeah uh, but to be able to have compassion on someone who you know, by by all reasons, should be your enemy. Yeah, is hard, and you know, I think that's why that's referred to by all the great philosophers and you know the teachings of Jesus. And you know, we've talked. Uh, I think the last time we we brought up even Gandhi. Yeah, uh, and th and that's a big piece of that is is being able to look at your enemy uh, with grace in your heart. I I think that's. Yeah, that, I mean, that is some heavy stuff. And you're right. It's, it's a very interesting point. It's so much easier. Not that it's, it's easy per se, but it's easier uh, to have compassion uh, for someone who is in favor in your mind yeah. to your liking, right? right. Like, mm -hmm. this is what a good person is. This is what they look sure. like. I can be compassionate to yeah. him or her. Yeah. I can see that they're trying. Um, and then what happens to the complete reverse of that? And it, right. it's, it's almost interesting to challenge yourself in that way. Do I have that same thought yeah. process or yeah. compassion? And, it certainly and is. Yeah. For the actual golden rule itself, 
can I truly treat someone I yeah. don't even know the way I treat myself who that's all mo- the, the person right. I know the most? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I don't I don't give that definition and say I do this perfectly, 100%, right? Right. And I and I think that's why I like that definition because I will never achieve it. And I I love that. I love Yes. I love not just the challenge of that, um, but what that means in life in general, right? You know, that's that means that my kids are going to watch me striving for that. Yeah. So what are they going to be like, and what are their friends going to be like, right? So that's you know that's how you start the next generation on the right foot. Yes. Um, and you know that's amazing to me. I know you know we've we've talked about your father in the past and the impact that he's had because yeah. he was that example for you guys, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, I think you, know, you guys are here doing what you do because of that example. And we all want to do that for our kids, right? Yeah. To, yeah. to do it even better than our fathers did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I love looking at things that way. Yeah. And it's a struggle. It's a big struggle. Yeah. Um, but it's an important aspect to look at when you're dealing with the population we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're dealing with guys, you know, a lot of times came off the street yeah. or came out of the woods. It's not as extreme anymore as it was back then. There are fewer homeless camps in the area, uh, but more people couch surfing and just, you know, trying to find a place to crash for the night. Um, but they all come with baggage and they all come with you know, you call it their own dirty laundry, right? Whatever that is. You know, some of them come with alcoholism, um, not because they just fell into it, but because they were drinking to stay warm when they were in the woods. Mm. You know, we dealt with that a lot in the past. Wow. You know, it's almost the antifreeze piece to it. Uh, but that leads to addiction. And, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, got hurt and couldn't work anymore. And so they bring a lot of, you know, dark things there, you know, whether that's depression uh, or if that's just that they quit on themselves, they, they lost their self-concept, their yeah. identity. Um, if I can look at those people with that definition of compassion, that's an impact that, that is going to last. And yeah. it's not just going to impact that person, but everyone in their circle. Yeah. yeah. That's how I challenge myself in that way. It's amazing because the, the, the next question is taking that to being a landlord, mm-hmm. being a compassionate landlord, which yeah. earlier um, you stated that the, this concept for, uh, of the way home wasn't necessarily the most popular, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the approach. How, what is the maintenance with that, right? Mm. So how do you maintain the integrity of what you want to do, but then also... Not to keep everyone else happy at the same time, but it's almost like you're putting out all these little baby fires yeah, yeah. to maintain to keep this thing afloat. Absolutely. Um, you know, we we have, I think we have seven gentlemen in in the house that we run now. Wow. So you have seven unique personalities yep. in one residence, hmm. and you have to make sure that you are treating them all with respect and at the same time maintaining order. Um, I put a lot of credit on our executive director. She has been fantastic uh, at making sure that she's giving the support that they need and not being overbearing and not giving support that they don't ask for. Um, but the, I'm going to go back to what we had talked about back in, I think it was 2019. Um, the whole concept behind Housing First is 
if you bring somebody in who is homeless and you don't give them any rules as far as addiction um, or you know mental health and you just say come in your only responsibility is pay your rent on time and be a good roommate yeah that's it and leave it at that one of the things that happens is their self-concept changes because all of a sudden they're accepted for who they are and most of the time have not been in a very long time mm -hmm. and someone whose self-concept now reflects a view that I'm worthy wants to change their current state wants to change their circumstances Wow, that's the key to maintaining order if you will uh, in the house is to make sure that your focus is actually on acceptance and improving self-concept and not so much on developing a program that you want to change lives because the one thing I have learned in ministry and in the nonprofit world is that program will never change a life mm. but self-concept will <laughs> you know showing someone that they're worthy will change their life every time but no program you can put together will have that kind of an impact on anybody's life. Outside of, can you share maybe maybe a follow-up story to maybe someone that was um, utilized the way home in the past and are are doing you know ten times better? Yeah, yeah. So you know, back in 2012, we brought the original group in. We brought five guys out of the homeless camp into housing. Um, we had some tragedies in there. One of those gentlemen unfortunately passed away. Um, but we had one story that I absolutely love. There's one gentleman out of the original five. He was the first one to graduate out of the program. Yeah. Uh, he went on to rent a place in town. And uh, I've run into him a few times. He actually lives around the corner from me now. He's got an apartment that overlooks the Delaware River. Nice. And uh, he has been out on his own now for... I guess about nine years. Wow. Um, and, and doing really well. Still local. People know him. People love him. Um, and that's, you know, one of the, the best stories that we've had. Yeah. Uh, I am still proud to say that our success rate is extremely high. We are over 80% on people who leave the program who maintain housing 12 months after they've left. Uh, that's, that's an incredible number. Uh, we don't follow up beyond that. And I'm sure if we did, we'd find that the number was still quite high. Yeah. Um, but the reason why it's high is because our goal is not to develop a program to impact lives, but impact lives by changing self-concept. I love that. So, so switching gears a little bit, yeah. how do you find uh, the houses themselves and the, the, the rental properties? And just on a very high level, yeah. um, how does it all work, actually? So... That's changed a little bit over time. Um, we are renters, so we rent from a landlord who's willing to rent to us and let us sublet to the population we serve. Uh, as you can imagine, that's not the easiest thing to find. Um, one of the, the focus changes that our previous president brought that I have maintained, because uh, I think he was spot on with it, is we want to find landlords who want to partner with us. We want to find people not just who are willing to do this, but who believe in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the landlord we have now has been phen phenomenal. Uh, and he 
at one point it opened the door to us and said, hey, when you guys are ready for the next house, let me know because I'm developing properties and I'll, I'll find you another place wow. uh, nice. <laughs> locally. And, and cool. we love that. And so if you're listening, we're going to be ready soon. Nice. Um, <laughs> but, but that's the focus that our, our previous president bought is, brought is that we don't just want people willing to rent to us. We want people who believe in what we're doing, who, who see this as something good. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's so important because when I said people are what makes the difference, it's not just people on your staff, it's community in general. And I think, you know, community is one of the most powerful things that there is. But when you can pull community into something like this, it just has such a greater impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking to impact. So when you first started, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to explain very superficially or wherever you were um, family-wise, mm -hmm. you being a family man. Yeah. Explain a little bit about how that you integrate maybe some of, even if, you know, not saying you bring the kids along, but just integrate some of the compassion components yeah. Um, into your everyday life yeah. with your squad Absolutely. tribe, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's that's crucial. And you know, I, I would say we talked about this last time too. Uh, I think you know my tribe is is my church group, my yeah. my congregation there, um, and you know they have been a supporter of us from day one. Wow. So you know, ten year relationship there that they've been donating to the way home. Uh, that's crucial. The Way Home is actually even listed on our website, the church's website, as a, a ministry that, that wow. the church participates in. It's, it's that strong. Um, and so, you know, that brings my family into it, not just my, my nucleus family, but my extended family. Um, when we first started back in 2012, it was just my wife and I at home at that point. My daughter wasn't born until uh, October 2013. So we were about a year in uh, to the way home, a little more than that, when she came along. Wow. Uh, she was probably, well, she was probably four when I stepped away. Um, and I stepped away for about a year and a half to focus on family because my son was born. Yeah. And uh, in that time, you know, I still talked about the way home, but they didn't really remember much. Yeah. And when I came back, the timeline accelerated quickly. I mean, I talked about that before. <laughs> I agreed to come in to consult, yeah. which led to me being a, a board member, which led to me being the vice president, which now led to me taking over again. Yeah. And I feel like I'm playing catch up now with my kids. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. because I, I do so many different things, I coach Little League, I'm an elder at the church, and so I'm always going to meetings. And now I work from home in the insurance business. Yeah. And so I have meetings with families. And so my, my daughter kind of understands that I'm in meetings but never really quite gets which yeah. one I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But every now and then I get to stop and talk to her about why it is that I do these things that I do. Nice. And I I think each one of them even though it's very different from each other has the same root and that is a root of service. And just like you guys, that is something that my father laid on my heart. My my dad was a servant you know, he helped everybody. He was the guy that, you know, if you got a flat tire and you didn't know how to change it, you called him. And what did he do? He brought me with him when we went to go change tires. Mm. And so, you know, when I became an adult, I said, I'm going to do that too. Because I remember 
watching him do that and never questioning uh, whether it was his turn. Because it just was. Somebody needed help, he went and did it. And, and so I, I do the same, I, I give back. And I make it a point for my kids to know what I'm doing, even if they're not there. They know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, last weekend is a great example. Uh, there's a church back in New York, where I'm from originally, uh, that has been sponsoring us now for a couple of years. Huh. And so they, they gave a big donation to us at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then they wanted to give back even more. So they wanted to come down and spend an afternoon with the guys in the house. So they planned to, to come down and they, they asked, you know, what, what do they need? And so they got bedding together for the guys' new blankets and sheets. A lot of them hadn't gotten new blankets in over a year. Mm. And uh, they brought it all down. They came down and had a pizza party with the guys and, and got to sit there and talk. Wow. And before we left, I told my kids exactly what I was going to do. I'm going down to the house that, you know, this organization daddy runs and, and we're going to meet with these guys in the house and just talk to them about life uh, and you know you get the questions then of well why are there guys in this house what is this for yeah, yeah. and they know what homelessness is yeah they know you know a bit about my story and so you know I get to share these are guys that were experiencing homelessness until they found the way home and and that's why daddy does what he does uh, because we're you know we're helping change lives these are guys that didn't have a place to live before and now they do well that's really neat dad yeah that's cool. it certainly is and so you know i hope when they get older that they want to be involved a little bit more and they want to be able to do stuff but you know they're young right now my, my daughter's eight my son just turned uh he just turned six my little guy's about to be two you know so they're they're not in that group yeah, yet of course sure but you know I, I look forward and i say well a few years from now mm. yeah they could come out and, and be a part of a, a weekend event and we do do some things like um, last year, the, the guys in the house hosted the church for pumpkin painting, and all the kids came that's awesome. to the, the house, yeah. and they painted pumpkins in the backyard. So the kids, you know, they didn't really know, well, that's the organization Daddy runs. They yeah. just went. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's really neat to be able to keep your whole tribe, not just the big, the big kids, but yeah. the little kids, too, as, as, you know, part of that, that supporters and seeing who they are. And, and, you know, when you get to do things like that, you look at, men in their circumstances differently than you do if you're on the outside looking in. From the outside looking in, they're, they're guys that were down on their luck and the way home came along to, to give them an opportunity. But when you actually go and hang out like that, they, they just are men. You know, there's no yeah. outlying definition behind them. They're just men. Yeah. And they just reside there. And, uh, and I think that's so important for, for everybody to be able to see. So that's why I, I like the idea that the tribe isn't just my nucleus family and my kids but it's everybody that i'm connected to from the inside out i love it so so i mean you gave a ton of phenomenal examples <laughs> and this was one i already had ready you know queued up you know in the hopper ready to rock and roll and then you just said a bunch of inspiring stuff uh but what has been one of mm -hmm. maybe one you have not listed yeah thus far uh memorable moments um, hmm. in, the, in the last decade yeah um and memorable meaning it does not have to necessarily be a good thing yeah just memorable in the fact that it's like yeah. hey man uh I'll, we'll never do that again <laughs> um, yeah um you know I, I think back to the beginning uh our first year um we 
We were brand new to this and we didn't do a very good job of screening our residents. In fact, in the beginning, we just really wanted five warm bodies who were willing to come in yeah, yeah. and rent a room. Yeah, sure. Uh, but we put together a group of five guys that had no business being in a house together. Right. <laughs> I mean, the hostilities were terrible. Oh my. Um, you can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, we, had, uh, we had an assault in the house. Oh, we had God. assaults outside of the house. Uh, but not looking at personalities, we had a broken hip at one point. You know, we had some lacerations. We had all kinds of just messiness. Yeah. Uh, we had rumors of, of drug dealing going on from inside the house. We had fights with neighbors. Uh, but it was all because we were so excited about opening and getting guys in yeah. that we didn't really slow down enough to make sure that the guys yeah. coming in really wanted to be a part of what this was. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, and they didn't. You know, they were guys that had been in the woods and just didn't want to be in the woods anymore. Yeah. Um, so out of that first group, we had one guy that moved on. We had one guy pass away. We had another guy that moved into housing uh, about two years later, who I believe is still in housing. And then we had two guys that went back on the street uh, and, to the best of my knowledge, stayed there. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, I sincerely hope that they're not there today, but the last I knew they were. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the growing pains in that time were just learning how to slow down on the search and make sure you were putting the right people together, which is a hard thing to say. And it sounds a little bit like it's contradictory to, we don't have any rules about bringing people in. You know, you can be an addict and come in. You can have some mental health issues and come in. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody is a good fit for the mm. program, and it doesn't mean that everybody is a good fit for the house. Um, so we we have learned to <laughs> draw those lines. Yeah. The other thing that we've learned is when you voice that properly, um, people filter themselves out. They will you know get back to us and say, well, this isn't really what I'm looking for. Uh, and and it's hard. You know, a shared housing environment is hard. Yeah. They're going to have a roommate in their room. Yeah. Or two. Some of the rooms are big enough that there's three people in them. Yeah. Um, we try to keep it to two people in a room, though. But So you're going to have a roommate, and you're going to have six or seven people that live in this house with you. Yeah. So it's a hard thing to, to kind of balance. And uh, the other uh, Housing First organizations actually do single-room occupancy. They, they find one-bedroom apartments and put individuals in one bedroom. Gotcha. Um, the cost on that is a lot cheaper than the alternative to them being you know at the the exposure of the elements and and emergency services picking up the bill for them uh, but the way we do things is a fraction of even that uh that plan and, and you know it's not it's just not right for everybody yeah so yeah that's that would be the the biggest one um and i'll, I'll give you another one that's yeah also not <laughs> not a positive memorable experience <laughs> yeah. but this is one that i learned personally um I learned that there's going to be conflict and I have to be okay with that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because we had conflict with several board members at one point early on and I let it go too far internally. Mm. You know, I didn't didn't voice a lot. Uh, I kept a lot in and uh, at one point in the first couple of years that we were doing this, I got really bad chest pains. And I wound up in the hospital thinking I had a heart attack. 
uh, and it was just stress and it was because I was keeping everything inside and so I I had to learn that conflict is not only going to be present but necessary mm. um, because you know conflict is that that iron that sharpens its fellow iron you know you don't get strong without that yeah mm -hmm. uh, and I, I didn't understand that at the time uh, early on in this uh, but you know eight years later I get it and uh, you know conflict seems to to find me regardless and, <laughs> and it's okay now I, you know I don't look at conflict today and say oh I don't want to deal with this it's actually <laughs> okay let's get past this because I know yeah. something better is on the other side yeah right yeah. the approach is different let's work Absolutely. on it yeah, rather yeah. than just just internalize it. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. amazing um, how do you maintain clients or what have been what has been your experience during the pandemic mm. did the pandemic switch anything up it did yeah you know that's that's funny that was something i i wanted to make sure we talked about here today because uh, i you know i think the pandemic affected everybody in, in some way mm -hmm. yeah i don't think there was anybody in this country that wasn't in somewhat affected by it um, but the big thing that changed for us is social work in general is a community uh, a community aspect, you know, is a is community at work together. Uh, one of the things that we did really well here in Southeast Pennsylvania is that we had a monthly meeting where all the social work agencies got together to talk about what the updates were in their organizations, and and all of us who did housing were able to share. Hey, we've got X number of beds open. Um, COVID shut that down. You know, in, in the very beginning, it, it was. It was run by the uh, the Men's Salem School District at one point, um, and it got shut down. You know, the schools wow. were shut down. The, the organizations all went remote. Most social workers weren't coming back to the office at all, and you couldn't meet in a group. Mm -hmm. and, and Zoom wasn't what it is today, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it was shut down for about a year. And then when it came back online, it was... It was done by Zoom or uh, I don't, Microsoft Meet or whatever that Teams, is. Whatever. Teams, yeah. Uh, they were you know, doing those types of meetings. But you don't get the same impact no. when you're not in a room together. Yeah. Uh, so you know, what that resulted in is having a very hard time finding new residents. Because what we relied on is being there to do an update every month. And then all the social work agencies that are looking for housing for men went, oh, yeah. That's right, James was just here and he said, the way home has two open beds, let's get a hold of them. And they would call in and we would get you know, a list. And so the goal was always if we had seven beds in the house to have at least seven names on our waiting list. So if anybody left the house, there'd be somebody to plug in. Mm -hmm. And I would say for the last year and a half, we've never had more than one or two names on the list. Yeah. And most of the time, they're gone before there's an opening, yeah. and then you're struggling to find people. Uh, so, you know, we're, at, we're at full staff right now, or, or full, uh, we're, at, we're full beds right now, but if somebody leaves, it's going to be a challenge to, to find somebody else. Now, the world is changing again. We're, we're kind of coming back to the new normal, and, and those meetings are going to you know, start being in person again. Uh, and I look forward to that, because we'll be able to function in community again all the social work agencies because they're so interdependent uh, but you know when you take us away from each other that you know we, we lose a little something and I'm sure every single one of them did uh, but yeah that's that's been a big big change over the last 
two years that we've been doing this now in, in the pandemic. So we, I had a conversation, uh, I was having a conversation with someone saying, uh, you know, we're progressing into a, a better version of our meetings. It's still not the same, but at least, uh, so now we're doing partials, right? Yeah. And now, now, now some of the meetings are virtual and some of them are in person, you know, if the space permitting, whatever. Yeah. And it's, you, you quickly notice how powerful in-person meetings yeah. are um, and so and, and then we also we, we also got into a very very bad habit multiple bad habits mm. one being while you're on a zoom call answer all the emails you can have right. another monitor going with still doing your work yeah awful habit yep. right mm-hmm. second thing is is we booked meetings from two to three three to four four to five five to six and, and it just keeps going like that that is literally impossible in the if you're if you're meeting uh in person right because you need yeah. travel time you need right. a bio break you need, it's just not reality right, it's just sure. like you can't do that yeah um and we got in these weird habits of yep. just kind of disruptive. The, the, the final thing, which is fantastic, and you appreciate more once all of a sudden you have these in-person, is those little interpersonal conversations, the little microscopic ones that happen before, after, in the, mi- in the middle of a break or something with your yeah. colleagues around right. you. They're gone. And it's like... Oh my yep. gosh! So 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 if I had to solve a problem, I knew X, Y, and Z would be at a particular meeting, and I would walk with them back to my yep. office, right? Yep. And that was just bang! I, I could resolve it. Right. You got any Zoom calls? It's like, well, I you know I can't. I'm on like 500 Zoom calls. Right. I don't have time to talk to you. You know. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like all of a sudden now we're too busy to. Right. It's like wait, I thought we're supposed to be saving time by yeah. doing this. Now all of a sudden everyone's you know you look at someone's calendar. It's booked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You're like I don't even know what to do with this. Trying to get a hold yeah. of them. Like so we have teams, and when we try to get a hold of, like supervisor or something, their their dot is always red. Yeah. And it's like you click Start on it. It's in a meeting or yeah. they're on a call and it's like. They want us to reach out to them, but right. how are we supposed to reach out to them? And then, you know, it, it just, it's kind of like yeah. it becomes backwards. More, yeah. more counterproductive than anything. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, you know, I think it's, if it's done well, it's a positive. And if it's not done well, it's a huge negative. So, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd mentioned to you guys before the, uh, the show here that, uh, you know, I came out of the car business uh, and I moved into the insurance business. And so I, I, I'm in uh, life insurance now and the agencies that I work for are huge. You know, there are people all over the country. Well, Zoom has allowed us to meet every day. And so in the mornings, we have a, you know, a game planning meeting for all of the agents in the agency. And I'm meeting with guys that are in Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. Texas and California yeah. and, you know, all over the place. Uh, we never were able to do that before Zoom right. came along. Absolutely. So, you know, those are positives. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... We purposely don't overbook meetings for that reason. Now, no. I meet with all my clients on Zoom, and so Zoom fatigue is certainly a real thing. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think we're all going to come out of here with, with blue light issues and sure. all kinds of stuff, right? You know, that's going to oh, be man. our normal glasses now. We're going to have a blue light filter in them by default anymore because we live on computers anymore. But, you know, I, I think that there are some positives. Now, on our side of things, on, on the way home side, one of the things that it allowed for us is our treasurer actually moved back home to Wisconsin. Wow. Well, he's still at our board meetings. Right. Because they're on Zoom. Yeah. Right. We've got a, you know, another gentleman on our board who's uh, he's an attorney that works for the U.S. government, works for the military. He's in 
you know, they, they've done a lot of court appearances by Zoom now. So he's in yeah. Zoom wow. meetings all the time. Yeah. But he's not going to be back to Bristol to come to a board meeting. But Zoom allows him to do that. So, you know, there, there are some positives to it. But Absolutely. I think it's, it's all in the scheduling of it. Excessive yeah. Zoom scheduling is the worst thing around. Uh, but it is a huge opportunity outside of that. Uh, it's an opportunity for community and connection that we didn't have before. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Couldn't agree more. There's obviously the uh, uh, the benefit, and it's interesting too because we kind of said the same thing on a an interesting front uh, with social media, mm-hmm. right? Social media gave folks the ability, and and still does to, to you know. I could well. I'll speak for myself. Keeping in contact with friends and family that I would never, I would have yeah. never known what was going on in yep. you know the past five, ten years. Uh, being that I've physically never met up with this person, right? You know, right. Uh, but I have some level of insight by seeing you know the the pictures and the stories that they're sharing, yeah. me commenting, and there's still some level of interaction. I think that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Uh, again. Like everything else, when done right, you right. know, yep. <laughs> um, and then you can you can utilize that, and so all these things can. Um, I do appreciate the turning things into uh, the tool, yeah. and 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 utilizing that tool for its its benefit. But it, it, you know, it's just something about human. It's yeah. just something about us. We got to take things to another level yep. and somehow ruin it. Yep. But <laughs> but um, push to the limit. Yeah, and it's good though because then you then you know what's you know what's good, what's not good. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know that. We talk a lot about that uh, when it comes to achieving or going after your 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 goals in life. Like, how do mm-hmm. you even know what you're capable of if you never really truly exhausted right. yourself? Yeah. Yep. Right. And so now we know booking Zoom meetings back to back <laughs> to back. Okay, maybe we've just got a little too Zoom happy. Right. Yeah. And uh, whatever. And if we can laugh at ourselves, yeah, I think that's the most beneficial approach absolutely to all of this instead yep. of being so angry yeah. and hateful and just full of you know doom and gloom yeah you got to be you have to have the ability and obviously when appropriate but in, in most circumstances you have to laugh at yourself yeah um and 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 so so where do you think the future uh, of the way home uh is and where, what's it look like yeah. to you in your mind? A little bit of dream building, as we were talking earlier about uh, business locations for various yeah. items. You know, like w- when you think of you know five, ten years from now, another decade from now, you're like wow, look at this past ten years. Yeah. Um, look how far we've come. What's the next ten look like? Yeah. So you know, we we just had a board meeting last month where we talked a little bit about this vision for 2022. Um, and we definitely see us moving back into the building side of things, moving back into growing from the inside out. So, you know, we do look uh, forward to opening a second house this year once we get some more applicants in and we can actually build that list back up. Um, one of the things that we actually have talked about is figuring out a way to move me into a more executive role with the organization. So not just serving as the president of the board, but realizing a vision that we had in the very beginning. When we first started this, the goal was not just for me to be the president of the board, but be president and CEO. Uh, So that I could be the face of the organization and out there connecting with social work agencies. 
that had never been able to happen because the fundraising just never took off. And when it did take off, I was already in another career field, yeah. and my goal was to find the, the first executive director. Uh, and <laughs> now that I think about it, I've hired all three executive directors we've had. The first one back then, and then uh, Paul, and then and our new uh, director, Juliana. Uh, so I definitely see the future being one where uh, I will be in an, an executive role with the organization, which will push the vision piece beyond yeah. just what we do on a monthly basis in a board meeting to outside of the the virtual walls of <laughs> zoom yeah. uh, and and out into the community um, I I also see us not just focusing locally but building connections outside of the greater Philadelphia area you know, I mentioned earlier that we had a, a church in New York uh, that is sponsoring us and so I see the opportunity to move outside of the state borders and partner with some folks in other states to do some of this. And I, I think, you know, that's not a 2022 vision, but that's certainly in the next decade that I see that happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got enough work to do right here in our own backyard. You know, homelessness took a big upswing during COVID. Uh, of course, so did support take a big upswing, government support really picked up, but there are certainly more people homeless now than there were pre-COVID. Uh, so there's need, uh, and we need to fill that need locally before we move beyond our local borders. Uh, but I, I see The Way Home as being an organization without borders. I see this being something uh, that maybe doesn't actively work in other states but supports other organizations that build in other states where we can say look we did this on a small scale on a low budget you can do this where you're at uh, in the same way that the tiny home communities have really taken off across the country right you know you, you saw that start out on the west coast and, and start moving across the country and you know some of the the counties even here in pennsylvania have really gotten uh, serious about veteran homelessness and in a lot of places they've eradicated veteran homelessness but I don't see why we can't do that with all homelessness yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, and so you know that's a bigger vision uh, down the road and I think the way home is going to have a part in that uh, you know when I was really young and we started this 10 years ago my vision was that the way home was going to be in social work textbooks when we got done wow uh, that may or may not still happen. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see that as the the necessary vision anymore. Sure. You know, the, what's the root behind that is? Can we inspire other organizations to pick up the mantle and do this in other places? Sure. And I think we can. And I think we will. I love it. Um, so we have uh, listeners from all across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of which may want to start their very own nonprofit. Um, what is your recommendation or advice before they get started, or maybe they just got started? What is a piece of advice you can share with them that would uh, point them in the right direction? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about some of this already. Um, make sure that you've got the right team, make sure you've got the right people, um, but really make sure you know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. And, and make that the focus. Write it down, you know, put it in your slogan, whatever you need to do to not forget what that is. Uh, because when you fast forward 10 years, if that's not still in the focus, 
then your organization isn't where it has the potential to be. So if you can start out with the why at your right at the, the helm of what you're doing and keep it there, you'll be successful. The rest will fall into place. I love it. So James, two final questions. Is there anything, uh, any topic you wanted to discuss that we did not hit upon during our discussion? And two, if uh, folks wanted to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to connect with you? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, we hit on a lot of stuff here. The the one thing that I want to throw out a positive. Yeah. Uh, so the way home, ten years. Yes. Ten years, right? That's it's a awesome. big deal. Yeah, that's a really big deal. And we we intend to celebrate the heck out of ten years. I so love it. Uh, June tenth. Uh, there will be a, um, a gala, a 10th anniversary gala for The Way Home. Uh, there will be digital invitations that will be available. Uh, so if anybody wants to come support us, uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'll get invitations out to you guys so you can yeah, share that do. as you will. Sure. Uh, we're hosting do. it over at Georgine's. Uh, so I think we can have 240 people at the event, and I want to book the house. Nice. I want to fill it up. We're going to have entertainment there. We're, we're working on getting a band in there for uh, some dance floor stuff, but we're going to have some nice. some uh, you know silent auction, great dinner, uh, some speeches from some of the uh, the board members. Uh, so you know it's going to be a positive. So big deal there. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, easiest way to reach me is my email from the way home, which is J Richardson dot twh at gmail.com uh, you can find us online our website is twhhousing.org uh, you'll see a little snippet in there on each of the board members and, and a little bit of our mission uh, there is a paypal link on the page if you want to donate to the way home uh, but we are just so thrilled uh, to be able to have put 10 years into uh, this organization to have made an impact uh, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, in Bristol Borough, in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, we've impacted a lot of lives inside the house and outside the house, uh, outside of the state borders. We have followers from all around the country uh, that know what we're doing uh, and really support us and love us. And uh, really happy to be able to be back here with you guys and, and share a little bit more about uh, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, but yeah, we've got some celebrating to do this year and uh, we intend to do it well. So uh, that's, that's what I want to share with you guys. It's, uh, it's a good year. It's going to be even better. We're going we're gonna to have a good time in June. Uh, but we're having a good time reflecting on the fact that we've made an impact for 10 stinking years. Jimmy. A lot of people. Yeah, that's awesome. So, congrats. Yeah, absolutely. That is fantastic. I love it. Well, James, as usual, man, thank you for joining us. We yeah. appreciate it. Congrats again. Thank you. Um, and yeah, get those invites out and, and for sure we will definitely support. Absolutely. So we like to wrap things up with quotes and the first one is by the Dalai Lama. Compassion and tolerance are not a sign of weakness but a sign of strength. And the second one by Steve Maribald a kind gesture can reach a wound that only compassion can heal. The Way Home Part 2. In this episode, we have special guest James Richardson. We cover topics that range from running a nonprofit, rental properties, compassion, homelessness, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from the Dalai Lama and Steve Maribali. Awesome. 
Guys, thanks again for joining us. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Huge shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. That is BL3SSED.com. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, JimmyLeeVelez.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rotated Views. If you have any inquiries or questions, email us at info at JimmyLeeVelez.com. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. Stay blessed.